This is the Pitchfork Review. I'm Pooja Patel, the editor-in-chief. And I'm Jeremy Larson, the reviews director. And today we're talking about that influential ingredient that has its fingerprints on generations of artistic creativity and the experience of listening to music. Yes, folks, I'm talking about weed. (laughs) That influential ingredient, Pooja, there is so much lore wrapped up in how cannabis sativa unlocks the mind. Stories of everyone from Hendrix to Rihanna, Louis Armstrong, Lady Gaga. Long studio jams or enlightened writing sessions fueled by a never-ending supply of marijuana. Here's the thing. I can talk about weed. I don't think I can read about weed. Uh, yeah, reading, reading about weed in an earnest way it. is really something. Um, <laughs> Just like... Now it's been largely decriminalized in the United States, and it's widely available, which has kind of changed the conversation and brings us to a new place in talking about weed and music and creativity and how it's influenced all of that. We couldn't think of a better person to help us unpack it all than contributing editor Andy Cush. Hello, Andy. Hello, Pooja. Hello, Jeremy. Let's, let's start with this. When we say, like, weed music or stoner albums, you definitely know what I'm talking about, right? Like, you have a sense of what that feeling or idea is. Yeah, uh, I was kind of thinking about this this morning as we were getting ready to record. And I feel like, you know, there's a certain stereotype about the aesthetics of weed music that still kind of holds true, which involves kind of, you know, a long guitar solo or sort of like lots of reverb on the instruments Mm -hmm. or uh, a lot of kind of like strange ear tickling sound effects like coming in and out of the mix. And I think all that stuff can be weed music for sure. But I also think that it's a lot broader than that. And I think for me, the music that tends to sound the best when I'm high is music that, first of all, I think for me, instrumental music And secondly, music that's about some kind of like immersion in a sound, Mm -hmm. in any sound, really. Like it could be, I love like being at a techno club and having smoked a little weed, but I also love being at home and listening to John Coltrane. Mm Music that sort of asks you to really lose yourself in what's happening musically, whether that's through repetition or through like the complicated melodic moves of a jazz solo that you have to really pay attention to in order to appreciate. Mm -hmm. Less so like songs, although like rap can be great to listen to. For me, yeah, for me, it's all about just like anything that provides a sound that you can sort of lose yourself Mm -hmm. in. Metalcore, that's not weed music. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Emo, I would say emo is not weed music. Punk rock. I would say like lo-fi to me is a really kind of knife's edge whether I would like to be stoned listening to lo-fi music simply because a lot of uh, like what Andy said is some of the production elements of interesting textural psychedelic music like i think that's part of it and and not to like go galaxy brain uh, off the bat but we talk about music triggering kind of these emotional sensory physical responses in the same way that drugs can right in the same way that 
people equate like music with God and religion. And mm-hmm. it's like, I feel like all of these things are really tangible. And for me, I mean, not even being high, but just like what weed music is, is like a sense of like body high in listening to something, you know, mm-hmm. and like, it's like being at the ocean to me or being like in the perfect piece of weather, like 70 degrees sunset, the ability to feel something that feels like otherworldly, right? And I think, Jeremy, all of this feels very silly to talk about. Oh, 100%. And the reason it feels silly to talk about is because it's now commonplace. Weed is not what it was 50 years ago. No. It was once something like magnificent and special and illegal and associated with like this movement of counterculture. Right. I'm not an expert on the entire drug uh, history, but, you know, generally, like, I would say American music would not exist in the state that it is Mm -hmm. without weed. I mean, like, uh, the jazz scene in, like, the 20s and 30s was, like, full of weed, which was then called, like, Reefer. Like, you could Mm -hmm. listen to Cab Calloway's Reefer Man. Mm -hmm. Have you ever met that funny Reefer Man? Reefer Man! Have you ever met that funny reefer man? If he says he swam to China, sell you South Carolina, then you know you're talking to that reefer man. And that was hugely stigmatized. And there's a ton of racism wrapped up in the criminalization of marijuana throughout the years. And a lot of it has to do with immigrants and non-white people in America smoking weed. Essentially, when more... Mexican immigrants were coming to the country and as black people were using weed to create art, it became like increasingly criminalized. I mean, it was increasingly like the propaganda around it. I don't know if you remember. There was the movie Reefer Madness, right? Yes, there was Reefer Madness. And and that was directly tied to the jazz movement in my mind. Your Honor, in this case, the state waves trial of the defendant, Ralph Wiley. It is convinced that he is hopelessly and incurably insane a condition caused by the drug marijuana to which he was addicted. It is recommended, Your Honor, that the defendant be placed at an institution for the criminally insane for the rest of his natural life. And that brings us to the 60s. <laughs> so, Jeremy, if you want to talk about that. Um, you know, obviously the 60s, the f- from 65-ish and on, that's sort of like the birth of sort of the American counterculture, the Vietnam protest. Not only did weed sort of become more accepted among for lack of a better term, like white college students. Um, Mm -hmm. Like a lot of that was like wrapped up in the like hippie movement and in a lot of the music that was being made around that time. The famous story that a lot of people know is that like Bob Dylan got the Beatles high, you know, for the very first time. Mm -hmm. And Paul McCartney was just like, oh, this this changed my life and changed how I thought about music. And then the Beatles like made Revolver and the song got to get you into my life. Like, Sort of after the fact, they admitted, like, yeah, this is about weed. Ooh, you were meant to be near me. Ooh, and I want you to hear me say we'll be together every day. I think all of the Beatles got arrested for possession except for Ringo. Yeah, which is like those sort of stakes around weed smoking. Even like when we were younger, I guess all of us grew up around the same time, 90s and 2000s. And weed was illegal. But even then, like, 
thinking about like, oh, you could get arrested with a joint and go to jail for a decade mm-hmm. or something yeah. like that, like is almost hard to fathom from the perspective of 2023. Yeah, especially in America. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it also felt like a lot of politicians and the government were specifically seeking out music to blame for the like countercultural revolution. I mean, like in the early 60s, it was the Cuban Missile Crisis and it was like the death of JFK and everyone was anxious. Like Valium became very popular. Antidepressants became very popular and those were all clinically approved and made for upper middle class white people. And that is essentially what caused the rise of weed in like the youth movement and Mm -hmm. in like the musical movement. I mean, I remember hearing famously how like the government targeted Pink Floyd and at that one concert just posted up and arrested 500 people to make a point that in supporting these musicians, you are also supporting this criminal activity. Yeah, there were definitely like targeted arrests. Another person who comes to mind who um, he's not a musician, but he was certainly like associated with a lot of musicians is Timothy Leary, who was kind of like the big uh, acid guru. He went to jail for smoking a joint, I believe. And uh, in Nixon's papers, you can see they were like, we've got to take this guy down (laughs) as as Mm. a way of demonstrating that this kind of stuff will not be tolerated. Yeah. And I mean, in our youth, right? So Andy, you mentioned that we are 90s and aughts kids, right? And mm-hmm. that, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and like, we were very young, but I we were alive during the like great war on drugs campaigning, which coincided with rap. I'm wondering if we can talk about that. Like that felt like the second wave of this counterculture and protest in using weed as it got increasingly criminalized. I mean, there's Dr. Dre's The Chronic, obviously, one of the most important rap albums of all time. But like, are there other things that come to mind? This isn't per se me personally, mm-hmm. but I don't think you can talk about 90s and we did not talk about Sublime because mm-hmm. that was so pervasive across every cross section of, of culture. I spoke two joints in the morning. I spoke two joints at night. I spoke two joints in the afternoon. It makes me feel all right. I think that was a lot of people's sort of first experience with like any kind of reggae sound just because it was on rock and pop radio mm-hmm. yeah for this story that i wrote sort of in tandem with this podcast episode just about the sort of creative impact of weed on on various musicians who are working today i got into a huge conversation with the metal slash noise rock band chat pile about sublime <laughs> and uh how that was foundational weed music for so many people who are roughly our age And I'll say that for me personally, not uh, only was it a gateway into reggae, uh, it was also a gateway into the Grateful Dead, Mm -hmm. because on 40 Ounces to Freedom, they covered uh, Scarlet Begonias, Mm. more classic weed music. Wow. She wore Scarlet Begonias, sucked into her curls. I knew right away she was not like other girls. I've always thought about, like, why, if you are 
you know, getting a little high, like why does some music sound better than others? Or like, why do you have more tolerance for say like Krautrock or Noi or The Grateful Dead than perhaps you would when you were sober? And I think the research that I did is actually kind of interesting to me because when you are stoned, like the chemicals in um, weed, the THC and the CBD together, they create obviously like short-term memory loss. But like because you have that memory loss, you sort of have forgotten where the song was, like perhaps anywhere from 30 seconds ago to five seconds ago to two seconds ago. So there's a little bit more tolerance for repetition in your brain because it's not trying to remember how long you've been in this groove, right? Like you're, you're not thinking about where could it be going or where was it? You're just in it temporarily and you're in it very, you're very present with it. And the another like side effect of weed is the stretching of time. For instance, Alice Coltrane's Journey in Sachinadanda. <laughs> Underneath that, you know, her heart playing is buoyed by the sitar work, right? And so there is this sort of trance underneath Mm -hmm. it and this sort of tone and a drone that sort of allows you to sort of lose track of where you are within the song. And to be clear, Journey in Sachinadanda is such a special, beautiful religious album that you, you certainly do not need weed to experience. I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired, and I'm co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab, along with Michael Calore. Each week on Gadget Lab, we tackle the biggest questions in the world of technology with reporters from inside the Wired newsroom. We cover everything from personal tech. Because asking people to put a computer on one of the most personal and sensitive parts of your body is just like, it's a big bet. Broader trends in Silicon Valley. There are just so many laid off workers out there that workers just don't have a lot of power. And the exciting and terrifying world of AI. It's inevitable that the internet is going to be filled with like AI generated nonsense. And so he just thinks he might as well make some money playing a small part in a thing that he sees as unstoppable. Wired's Gadget Lab is here to keep you informed and to keep it real. The entire point of the phone should be on some level to hate it. (laughs) (laughs) New episodes of Gadget Lab are available weekly wherever you get your podcasts. Andy, having also recently written about and appeared on this podcast about ambient music, Mm -hmm. I'm curious if you see any, like, through lines between the two or what those two things share. Yeah, I do think that uh, a lot of what weed can do for you as a listener or a musician has to do with presence in the moment and mindfulness And of all the musicians that I spoke to for this piece that I wrote, pretty much to a person, all of them mentioned the idea that it helps them get out of their head and just into the space of whatever it is that they're making. And I think it can do that for you as a listener, too. You know, the meditative aspect of listening to ambient music or just meditating in general is kind of another route to the same 
idea of just trying to actively be present in whatever it is that's happening around you. And as far as like how weed itself contributes to that, it's hard to know just as a user, whether, you know, when you get high and you can just hear like, say very simple musical things, like for me, like even just the sound of like an open E chord on a guitar or Mm a C major chord played on a piano that you just take for granted. Sometimes this magical thing that happens when you're high is like, oh my God, just music itself is so beautiful. And We're is also that because all stoned on the, right now? <laughs> Amen, brother. And, and is that because of some sort of direct effect on your senses, or is it because it just brings you to a state of presence where you are more actively appreciative of simple things? I don't know. Did anyone that you talked to have examples of ways that this has like helped them? Yeah, totally. With Chatpile, who I mentioned before, if people aren't familiar with their music, it is like brutally heavy. Noise rock, kind of Jesus lizard type of like moshy yelling vocals. It's very out there. And they get high constantly when they're playing music. Pretty much they're never, from my understanding from talking to them, like they're never not very stoned when they're writing or recording or whatever. And the way that they write is just by improvising and finding the sections that are interesting and then kind of homing in on them and working them out. So it's it's like these very long sessions of kind of playing the same music over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I spoke with Margot Price, who talked about writing songs uh, after smoking or even doing preliminary writing before she's properly writing a song of just sitting down with a piece of paper and setting a timer after getting high, allowing herself to write whatever it is that comes to mind, just doing sort of stream of consciousness, free association, Mm -hmm. and also to remove a certain layer of self-consciousness about whether what she's writing is good or Uh not. And then kind of returning to that and working that sort of raw material into a song. I feel like part of the reason that it feels a little silly or strange to be talking so earnestly about you know, weed use in 2023 is because like the language around it being like genuinely useful for mental health and other health benefits is so commonplace now. And I'm wondering if you've seen any of that in some of the people you've talked to. Among the artists I talked to, the person who talked the most about weed in terms of its therapeutic value is Margot Price for whom it has sort of like a a dual benefit, as I understand it. There's the kind of things that we were talking about where you just get high and you have certain creative pathways open or you hear music differently and it has this very immediate effect. But she also talked about how weed helped ease her anxious thoughts and helped her deal with depression. That also helped her to be creative. 
because she talked about, you know, how something like anxiety can put a roadblock on you writing a song. And it made me think about how nowadays, now that medical marijuana is legal, so many places to say nothing of recreational marijuana, and we have this whole new vocabulary about it involving its value therapeutically, that it made me wonder whether some of the older sort of iconic uh, weed adjacent musicians, especially like, you know, in, in Margot Price's field of kind of like the overlap between country and rock, you of course have Willie Nelson and mm-hmm. also like someone like Chris Christopherson who- Willie Nelson, number one advocate of rolling oneself up and smoking oneself when they die. That's true. Yeah. Awesome song. <laughs> Roll me up and smoke me when I die. And if anyone don't like it, just look up in the eye. I didn't come here and I ain't leaving, so don't sit around and cry. Just roll me up and smoke me when I die. They were definitely advocating for the use of weed. They weren't putting it in terms of like, this is something that helps me deal with anxiety. But I do wonder if... It's just a matter of the vocabulary having changed. And it's just two different ways of talking about the same thing. You mm-hmm. know, when you say, like, if Willie Nelson might say, like, oh, weed just eases your mind or uh-huh. something like that, that is kind of another way of saying it helps me deal with my anxiety. Absolutely. The Oscars are almost upon us, which means now is the time to start catching up on all of the buzz from this year's award season. I'm Katie Rich. I'm one of the hosts of Vanity Fair's Little Gold Men podcast. Every week, we cover the ups and downs of the Oscar race, from Barbenheimer to the Golden Globes controversy, and much more. We also have weekly interviews with some of the year's biggest contenders, like Emma Stone, I mean, that's how you know you really love and trust and respect someone is that we can absolutely fight. Paul Giamatti. It's like, holy (laughs) He just nailed the out of that. Sorry. And America Ferreira. It's like people standing around for hours just waiting to, like, be a part of this cultural moment. Whether you're a Hollywood insider or just want to win your office's Oscar pool, listen to Little Gold Men, available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now. I feel like we're associating weed with, like, stoner rock. And I wonder if you have examples of albums that feel exciting to listen to (laughs) while stone that are just like the opposite of Mm -hmm. that. The thing that comes to mind for me is the new hundred gex album, 10,000 gex, which is just like Mm -hmm. so chaotic, (laughs) so deeply chaotic, but like a producer's dream of samples and references and little sonic ticks that it is like deeply fun To just be like, aha, 20 times in the span of four minutes. One that comes to mind that's sort of fun and stimulating is like, for instance, MF Doom. Mm -hmm. There's a certain like train of thought in his lyrics 
that is like so virtuosic and amazing and also feels indebted to the thought process of being high and your brain just kind of jumping from one topic to another through some kind of unlikely connection or making a totally absurd joke that might not occur to you if you're sober. Beef rap can lead to getting teeth capped or even a reef from all dudes on some beef crap. I suggest to change your diet. It can lead to high blood pressure if you're fried or even a stroke. Heart attack, heart disease. It ain't no starting back once arteries start to squeeze. And so, like, it really feels like the sort of state of mind of like your internal monologue when you're mm -hmm. high. But of course, like, no one else's internal monologue is that funny uh, <laughs> or that good. Yeah. But it's sort of like this ideal version of what you might be talking to yourself about when you're high. In a similar vein, I'll propose an album by the Avalanches called Since I Left You, mm -hmm. which is a genre of music called Sample Delica. Um, or plunder phonics. Because part of the fun of those albums are, like I said, like the cornucopia of sounds that you get there. And when you hear one person orchestrate samples and arrange them in a track in incredibly unique and strange ways. Like it, it is very stimulating in a way that's, that's very different from listening to like, say sleep dope smoker, which mm -hmm. is just sort of one thing kind of over and over again. Another thing that I did when I was interviewing these artists was to ask them what are some of their favorite albums to listen to uh, when they get stoned. And I got some fun and interesting answers from a lot of people, including someone who goes by Captain Ron. Everyone in Chatpile has a funny pseudonym. Captain Ron, the drummer of Chatpile, talked about Islands by the great prog rock band King Crimson. It's just such a beautiful album. Uh, from start to finish, kind of uh, takes you on a journey too, all the way. The way it starts with, it's kind of like very organic sounding nature or something that like comes to mind. And then by the end of the album, I just think of like just huge epic, I don't know, like he just crossed the Rocky Mountains and journeyed the Oregon Trail and like found the, you know, Pacific Ocean, you know. Hell yeah. <laughs> and uh, also from Chatpile, their guitar player who has the wonderful alias Luther Manhole, talked about two different albums. One is the sort of post-hardcore classic Leaves Turn Inside You by Unwound. Because that's album such like a crazy tidal wave. And I mean, it's a double album too, so it's just very long. But it's just, even just the way it starts with like the multi-minute drone, if you've ever listened to that record, it's just, yeah. I don't know, it's easy to kind of become hypnotized by it. A 
lot of metal I like in general, though, kind of has that quality, you know, with like Gorguts and, you know, Demolich, like the stuff that's kind of more hypnotic, I think kind of lends itself to kind of just, you know, zoning out. And uh, the other one is the Memphis rap classic Underground Volume 1 by 3-6 Mafia. Nice. Scoping these niggas out on the next block Cause I know that they hoe asses pushing them pounds They put my whole cell fucking up my mail So I gotta close them down They got niggas standing around with much artillery But scared clone not scared Fucking up my damn business I caught the triple six We catch some tricks I'm prepared Nate Amos from Water From Your Eyes Had what I thought was a very surprising pick His favorite music to listen to while stoned Is the late career albums of Scott Walker uh, oh, which is incredibly intense, yeah. theatrical, often scary, dissonant music. But his reasoning for why he likes to hear it high was very interesting to me. The textures and kind of like the general approach to arrangement, one of the things that's really interesting about him, it's kind of primarily poetry and every minute choice that goes into the arrangement serves the lyric in some way. No dupe, no child, a way of miles off. So yeah, that, that actually actually gets me to this taxonomy that I want to propose to you guys, because I think there are weed songs and then there are songs about weed. And I think weed songs are better than songs about weed. I mean, this is my example. So a weed song is Parliament's P-Funk wants to get funked up. That features George Clinton giving this surreal monologue about a radio station called WEFUNK and like kind of going off onto his sort of like Afrofuturistic, totally danked out ideas about what funk music is. And it's really good and funny and it's also funky. Then the closing song to the chronic, Dr. Dre's The Chronic, called The Roach, takes that song and makes it all about weed. So the first song, weed song, second song, song about weed. And I would argue that the original is better than the song about weed. Because songs about weed, like, I don't <laughs> like. And I think they're kind of corny. What, Afro Man, Because I Got High, isn't your song yeah, of the I'd, decade? I don't I don't like that. I think that songs could also be both, though. I'm thinking mm-hmm. about uh, Devin the Dude's Doobie Ashtray, which is very much Classic. about weed and is just this the sound of the DJ Premier production on that and the kind of cadence of Devin the Dude's voice is very pleasing to hear you know, while you're high, for sure. What you gonna do when the people go home and you wanna smoke weed, but the reefer's all gone and somebody had the nerve to take the herb out of the doobie ashtray while they do me that way. This is a good segue to, guess what? It's 420 today. Hey! What will you be playing in honor of... National Weed Day. That's the thing is that like, you get is one it cool answer. to celebrate no, no. 420 in 2023? Yes. 
Is it? I think it's come back around. Is to it come cool. back around? It's it's in for, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Okay. Great. All right. Well, then I'm I'm going to take a 2.5 milligram edible. Um, <laughs> and listen, like one of my favorite albums, like a formative album for me growing up was Herbie Hancock's Headhunters. I think like that gets at everything that I love about music and composition and playing. And I think like that is one of my favorite albums with or without weed. Andy? Uh, I don't know what I'm going to listen to today, but I'll give my canonical answer, which is Outcast Spodiote Dopalicious. Mm-hmm. We are literally, I have, that is my song. <laughs> Andy? Yeah, it, it's the perfect song. It is the perfect song. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks. Thanks for being on the podcast. Nice. It's been great to hang out. Yeah. This has been wonderful. Thanks for having me on, guys. It's been good puff puff passing our ideas. Oh, God. Uh, here we go. Other. <laughs> the Pitchfork Review is a production of Condé Nast. You can read Andy's story at pitchfork.com and you can find Andy Cush at CushAC on Twitter. Catherine Fenelosa at Rococo Punch is our senior producer. James Trout at Rococo Punch is our technical producer. Ryan Domble is our showrunner and Jessica Gramulia is our music supervisor. I'm Pooja Patel. Thanks for listening. <laughs>